If you are shopping for some new investments or just checking in on your mutual funds, we have information you need to hear about how to evaluate these funds. And yes, we're going to get judgy with some data that may change your mind on how you pick where to put your money. That and so much more on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown-Up Podcast, coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. And coming to you from the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. We break those stories down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. Today's show is brought to you by Tiller Money, your financial life in a spreadsheet automatically updated every day only. Tiller Money automatically updates Google Sheets or Excel you choose with your daily spending, transactions, and account balances. Try Tiller free and get 20% off your subscription if you head to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF. That's toward your first year. Uh, thanks to them for that. Thanks to everybody who used our link for going there. And Bobby, thanks to you for this topic because a lot of people at the end of the year, I've seen over and over all of these uh, these lists, right? Top movies of the mm-hmm. year, top uh, TV shows of the year, and top mutual funds of the year, top investments to invest in from last year. And that might not be what you want to do. Well, and it's not a thumbs up or thumbs down. There's actually a lot of nuance to what you should be thinking about. And uh, we'll see. I see we have a live audience here. We're taping this on YouTube and they're already speculating what it's going to be. (laughs) Well, no speculation here. Let's get into it. But first, let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's show. Friends, check. Money, check. Friends with money. Let's do this. All right, this piece comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, written by Suzanne McGee. Suzanne writes, the pros and cons of using 12-month returns to evaluate a mutual fund. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The Securities and Exchange Commission requires mutual fund management companies to remind current and potential investors of that fact in every prospectus and as part of every marketing pitch. That doesn't mean, however, that historical returns can't provide useful insight into a fund. In particular, they tell us how well a management team and their strategy perform for existing investors and how in sync that strategy was with what's happening in the broader market. When it comes to making investment decisions, all we really have to rely on is what happened in the past, says Leslie Beck, owner of Compass Wealth Management LLC in Rutherford, New Jersey. While it might be foolish to expect that history to repeat itself, Ms. Beck still finds careful study of a portfolio manager's record to be useful. Without that information, I don't have any sense of how a manager might fare in a time of crisis or whether the risks they take are paying off. That is one reason why the Wall Street Journal singles out a handful of actively managed U.S. equity mutual funds that have trounced their peers based on their record over the previous 12 months at the end of every quarter. Another reason is to show how those managers have been rewarded in the short term, either for high-risk investment decisions made years ago or because they have been in the right place at the right time. But is a rolling 12-month analysis the right time frame to use? Certainly, some journal readers believe we should analyze three, five, or even 10-year investment returns before identifying a particular fund as a, quote, winner. Scott 
Opsal, director of research at Luthold Group, a Minneapolis-based investment research firm, is one of those critics. Quote, if you owned the top performing stock for each of the past 10 years, its median one-year return was 181% in any mutual fund that had, say, a 3% position in that stock would have seen its overall returns boosted by more than five percentage points, he says. Mm. And this I actually put in bold as a really important sentence, Joe. So one-year returns really come down to whether or not you own one of those biggest outperformers, whether a big tech giant or a company that was a target of a buyout. That is not a pattern that I would like to invest in. Yeah, it, in other words, they got lucky. Yeah, it, the company it, they own got bought out. Boom. The piece, the piece goes on, and we will link to this uh, on our Twitter feed uh, as you listen to this because there there is a lot more. But I think that's enough, Bobby, for us to get into. I see all the time top fund of last year, top uh, top investment of last year. And I get it, seeing who has the hot hand and what's hot now. If you're a momentum investor, which means kind of a short-term investor, that might be helpful. But if you're, if I'm a long-term player, I think the best stuff from last year kind of worries me more than helps me. Well, that's the whole dogs of the Dow theory, right? Yeah. There's a rotation. But a so. lot of people don't even know what the dogs of the Dow is. Explain that to people, because that's an interesting concept. Oh, for gosh. I, you're putting me in the spot. I don't want to say it exactly wrong, but I, tell me if I'm correct. It's something like the, the worst performers, basically, you are, are going to be the best, that there's a basically a cyclical pattern, right? That's a nice job. You are okay. you get the gold star from mom. <laughs> uh, uh, you You're buying the worst stuff from last year. Uh, versus the top stuff. There is this idea that when it comes to individual parts of the market, there's this thing called reversion to the mean, meaning if it did really well, it's probably going to come back to the middle. If it's done really poorly, it's probably going to come up. Betting, by the way, full tilt on which one of those is going to do better next uh, generally isn't the best strategy as just shooting for your goal and then working backwards on what's done that over long periods of time. But but uh, the dogs of the Dow is much more interesting to me, by the way, than uh, than investing in what was hot last year. And it's always a nice branding. I want to mention the gentleman quoted that we just spoke about that made that point. He also notes that the difference between the bottom quartile and the top quartile funds in any given year during the past 10 years was a mere six percentage points. So getting just a single stock decision right would have been enough to transform a fund from the bottom of the heap to the top adding that concentrated portfolios would still see a bigger would still see a, would see a still bigger benefit looking at longer periods smooths out some of the impact that individual stocks can have on short term returns you, you know when they talk about the uh, pros and pros and cons we just went through the biggest con of looking at one year return when i tried to think of the pros and they certainly have some in this piece but a big pro for me was much more around education, getting a handle on how asset classes act over short periods of time. So if I look at, as an example, uh, C. C. Foltz hanging out with us here on YouTube today. By the way, if you want to hang out with us on YouTube, head to youtube.com, put in money with friends, and you can watch us make the donuts but the uh, or make the donuts with us like uh, Ron <laughs> and C. Foltz are. But, but, but brings up uh, small cap value as an example. If I look at every year of small cap value, Bobby, just one year at a time, a 12-month return, I get a great idea for the, about the amount it bounces around. So I know that while a large company stock, if it goes 
worse than uh, minus 14%. I know it really is cratering, but 14 is still within a good realm of possibility for large companies. Small cap value can go down significantly more before I should worry. So, so knowing what the, what the, the, the bounce around factor, uh, better known as to professionals, the standard deviation on a, on a stock. Yeah. The hundred dollar word, um, the, the, the more of an informed investor I'm going to be and the more comfortable I'm going to be with the ride when I'm in it. Yes, I do agree. It's important to know what you're investing and to be realistic about the range of returns that you might expect. It goes down to risk reward. I mean, there's definitely ways to spread out the risk. And if you, you know, some fund managers will say, I invest in a very small small amount of stocks. I pick one stock a year and I follow them obsessively and my whole portfolio is under 10 stocks. And some people have done very well with that. And so if you, you know, you look at that individual manager and believe in their methodology, that can make a lot of sense. And that's why someone like a Warren Buffett, he will literally make headlines when it becomes public knowledge that he's put a lot of money into an individual company or a conglomerate, whatever whatever the investment may be, because we know that his pattern has always been to really um, evaluate that company versus other ones may really spread the risk among different companies and or they may have a mandate where they have to buy every company in a sector, that kind of thing. So right. know what you're buying into. Yeah. And, and as is P said, the prospectus will always tell you another way, another place I like morningstar.com is a fantastic place to get unbiased research on all of these things. That's the place that, that I go. I'll tell you the, uh, uh, the other thing that I like about one year returns is looking at how different types of funds compare against each other under different conditions. Because back when I was designing portfolios, Bobby, you'd see that certain asset classes were like putting salt and pepper in a portfolio and you can really even out the ride. In fact, there was a whole, um, uh, there's a whole thing called modern portfolio theory, which a big piece of that follows something called the efficient frontier, which shows that instead of just buying one asset class, like here we were talking about small cap value earlier, if you put maybe five different things together with small cap value, even though they might be risky asset classes by themselves, you put five risky asset classes together, you can smooth out the plane ride and de decreasing the risk. And, and get much more consistent, good returns by doing that. And by the way, Dr. Harry Markowitz won the Nobel Prize for that research, and um, and and a lot of people use it. So uh, go Google uh, Efficient Frontier, and you'll see some pretty interesting stuff about looking at the one-year return and the short timeframes to see how things, how these levers pull differently under different conditions. Yes, I remember studying that for the CFP exam. Exciting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I sort of think asleep. I blocked some of that out. <laughs> you know how you take a test and then you you really know it well for the test, and then it's just gone. So thank you for that explainer, Professor. I always thought it was I thought it was fantastic. When you use it every day, like I used to, it becomes a lot more fun. When 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 you would take a look at somebody's portfolio and how it's off the efficient frontier, and then you show them just by moving, you could take a lot what seemed to be moving into riskier type positions, but moving into several of them 
that you were able to actually decrease your risk and increase return. Even though if you looked at each individual position, it looked riskier. Putting them together decreased it. It was it was fascinating. I could I could nerd out on that stuff all day. But as you are. And right. In just a second, we're gonna nerd out about our big takeaway here. Uh, she's like, there's one of us that's excited by this, Joe. Uh, I was just look, I passed the test, okay. The, <laughs> The uh, in just a second, Bobby and I are going to have a big takeaway. But before we get there, I want to talk just a little bit about Tiller because Tiller is how I track my expenses. An important part of getting where you want to go here in 2020 in the roaring 20s is by knowing where you've been. And to do that, you need to pick a tracker. Now, there's lots of different ways you can go. I prefer to have a spreadsheet, even though I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I like spreadsheets because every single app that I've tried has had something that I just didn't like. Cool thing I found out about Tiller, stuff I didn't like there too. I could change it though, because it was a spreadsheet. And that was the big aha. When I first heard it was spreadsheets, I went, oh no, thank you. But I can simplify it because it's a spreadsheet where if you're a spreadsheet nerd, you want to parse the data more and have even more stuff at your fingertips, you can go that way too. So even if you and I want to do things completely differently, we can use this same app, Tiller Money, to get where we want to go. Head to TillerHQ.com and for 20% off your subscription for the first year, head to TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF and... Uh, and and you can score that if you decide to use it. So big thanks to Tiller for helping out the show. What's your takeaway here, Bobby? My takeaway is, first of all, I want everyone to go to our website and read the full article because we it's a very large Wall Street Journal article, very well researched. I really enjoyed it. We could only share part of it on the show. So if you go to moneywithfriendspodcast.com and go to the date that this episode first airs, you can find a link to the article. There's lots of interesting charts that illustrate a lot of what we were talking about because it is a lot to take in. So I want people to first take the time to educate themselves and learn more I like what they say towards the end of the article, and we didn't get into this. And basically, it is that you should focus on the mission of the fund. We, we, we actually alluded to it in terms of knowing what risk and what to expect. But think about how the fund is going to do relative to the peer group with the same goals. So first, figure out what your goals are. And then within that, you know, within the funds that will achieve that goal, then you can look and make some comparisons. And obviously, always look out for the fact that sometimes managers do change. And so make sure that whatever returns you're talking about are tied to the person that is running the money right right at that time. Yeah, it's like a sports team changing a coach or the people that are on the field. It's going to be very similar if you're a sports fan and get that analogy. If you don't, trust me, the game plays different with different players. The, <laughs> the uh, uh, when it comes to when it comes to my takeaway. It's that we often hear that looking at one-year returns are bad. If you follow money a lot, they say it's bad, but it can be helpful. It can be very helpful, especially when you're designing your portfolio, looking at how these different investments bounce around. And the one thing that we see a lot, and you and I, Bobby, talk about a lot, is that people people ruin their own financial strategy by not sticking to it. When the market starts to go haywire, we 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 lose uh, our strategy. The reason is is that our funds start bouncing around in ways that we didn't expect. And the more we can model that, and the more we can experience what should be uh, practical for our investments, the more we see that ahead of time, the less likely we are to to ruin our strategy when when the worst comes. Because at some point, at some point, our strategy is going to get tested. Yes, and maybe sooner than we would like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this Very case, well in this case, though, man, 
This market just keeps humming along. It's fantastic. Don't say that too much. <laughs> You're going to ruin it for all of us, Joe. Don't ruin it. Hey, big thanks to everybody who hung out with us here on YouTube today. We actually have people hanging out with us on YouTube, which is awesome. Our brand new home. We're still over on Facebook sometimes, but you're finding us more and more often here on YouTube. Head to uh, youtube.com, put in Money with Friends and uh, click subscribe and you'll get a notice whenever we go live, which we're doing a lot here today as we do some massive recording ahead. Uh, Bobby, people can also help us design the show on Instagram. They can be a part of the show and participate in a lot of our episodes. Episodes. Where do yes. they find us there? Could you at Money Friends Pod? That's our handle, by the way, both on Instagram and on Twitter. And stay close to the Instagram stories because we do often post quizzes and polls and surveys that you guys can participate in and be part of the show, even if you can't be here for the live tapings. Bobby and I are back here again on Monday with another exciting headline. We're talking mortgages on Monday. Big mortgages. Well, and you know what? I'm going to make some points to little really mortgages. big mortgages. Well, but so even if you've got a little tiny mortgage, I'm going to make some points that apply to us all. But you're right. We're talking about some problems in the big old mortgage business. I'm Baffa Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.